Mansoury, fantastic Bible teacher. We're going to be blessed this morning. So can I encourage you to stand and let's welcome John as he comes to preach to us. Good morning. Yeah, it's good to be here with you and uh, really always love coming back to Hastings. Um, We're uh, nowadays based in Winchester. We're in the Winchester Church uh, where I was leading for a number of years. But as I realised talking to someone this morning, you may not know that although I'm part of the eldership there, I now do a wider thing. I travel around a bit. And uh, in fact, we've been travelling quite a lot recently, a couple of weeks in India, then uh, down in Chichester, and mostly it's the UK, India sounds very glamorous, that's once a year, but um, you know, Plymouth and Bristol, just helping church leaders, overseeing uh, various situations, Southampton as well, so I'm only actually in Winchester about half the time, which builds up, which gives me a little bit of flexibility, and means that it's lovely to be able to come over here. We were over here for Joshua's baptism, one of our grandsons, and now only a few months later, we're back again. And it's, it's, we're, it's a double purpose. In fact, Paul said to me, this is good, you're doing all my roles this weekend, because we're looking after his four boys, so I'm in the dad role, and then we're, um, I'm preaching. So, uh, so he's, he's, he's having a weekend off with uh, Chloe, and I trust they're having a good time. We are as well, actually. Boys have been a delight, been easy to look after, been fun. Uh, I've been sort of a bit creaky playing football with them, but other than that, it's fine. So it's good to be with you, and we're going to continue your Acts of Courage series. We're going to talk about fellowship this morning, and believe me, fellowship needs courage. Uh, We're going to get there as we talk about it over the next half hour or so. 38 years ago, Marion and I joined a small house church in Upper Maze Hill, in in a a ground floor flat in Upper Maze Hill. And uh, we were uh, just newly married and we, I think, made the membership about 11 or 12 people. And that little church was called St. Leonard's Christian Church fellowship and after a short period our vision expanded and we changed it to Hastings Christian Fellowship and that was the name this church had for many years and then sometime in the early 80s or mid 80s I can't remember exactly when we changed to King's Church Hastings which was I think a very sensible change and it was necessary for communicating with the wider world uh, what you meant because already some of you might be thinking that was a strange name because I want to talk this morning what do we mean by fellowship and why did we choose a name like Hastings Christian Fellowship well actually there was method to our madness there was a reason why we chose that name You see, we'd rediscovered, I think, not that other people might not have lost it, but for us, we'd rediscovered that church is people in relationship to Jesus and in relationship to one another. It's absolutely nothing to do with buildings or organisations or systems. They're all quite useful, but our buildings and our organisation, whether we call it the Baptist organisation or New Frontiers or New Ground, doesn't matter. All of that is useful in a way that scaffolding is useful when you're building a building. 
So you don't rubbish scaffolding. You don't say, oh, I don't need scaffolding. I'm going to keep jumping up to mend this roof or be lowered from a helicopter. No, no, scaffolding is a really sensible thing to have. But it isn't the building, is it? The building is the bricks linked to one another and cemented together. And I think God had re-stamped on us that his church is people in relationship to Jesus and one another. And in those early years here in St. Leonard's and Hastings, we used to spend a lot of time together. The way we operated was we spent most of the Sunday together. Mind you, some of you are doing that now with the evening one as well. But we used to spend most of the Sunday together. And so we would uh, probably have lunch. We might, uh, in the winter, play a board game. These were before there were, well, there weren't even computers. I think we all, uh, we got paper, hadn't we? Hand, yeah. We got past that. We got, you know, past stone tablets. But we didn't have computers. So we did board games and things like that in Don and Stephanie's um, big room. And then we might go for a walk or if in the summer you might have a picnic or something. And then there would be some worship and lots of talking. And then there'd be a, a bit of a preach, quite informal. One of us would share something. We're all in secular work. And then during the week, we would probably meet, yes, to meet, uh, and, and we, we split into two groups because they're too big for Don, Don and Stephanie's uh, room. The second group was in Marion and my little house. And, uh, but, but actually, we did other things. We used to um, help each other, for example. We, we did decorating, help decorating. Uh, I can remember some of that very well. In fact, I can remember Ron and Margaret Wilmot. I think we decorated one of your rooms. Uh, you may have been the recipients of the incident I'm about to account, recount. It may well have been you, but there were other people. Because I remember us decorating people's rooms. Do, who remembers wood chip wallpaper? Do you remember wood chip? You have to be quite old, I think, to remember wood chip. So you used to put wood chip wallpaper on and then emulsion it. Which is lovely, isn't it? And it's lovely to have a whole group of people come around and decorate your house. Well, I think it might have been Ron and Margaret's, but I'm not absolutely sure. But one room after we'd done it, we realised that someone or some people had put about four of the strips the wrong way round. So the wood chips were inwards, and on the others, they were outwards. So it looked quite nice till you got to that patch. Then it was a little just smoother and a bit bumpier. So it didn't quite look so good. <laughs> So, so there wasn't all good news, really. And then we'd already blasted it, you know, we'd already drying off. So I don't know what we did. Can't remember. Went home and had a cup of tea, I suppose. Uh, and so, you know, there was some interesting experience. But we were helping each other out all the time. We did things together. I remember us going to the cinema. Uh, Don particularly felt that Watership Down had prophetic uh, the film, you heard it, it's a book and then a film. So it was prophetic, and actually it did, it was. I'm not mocking that, but, you know, it sounds a bit twee now, doesn't it? But we felt it was prophetic, so we all went to watch Watership Down. And I think then we all went to watch the first Star Wars film, but that was nothing to do with prophetic, that was just for fun. <laughs> and Marion didn't understand it, because you didn't read the bit, did you, at the beginning? It was ever so silly of you. The beginning... <laughs> There's a bit at the beginning of Star Wars which tells you, you know, the Empire's been doing this and that. So Marion's sitting there, and and then by the time, you know, all the way through the film, it's, what's that? Who are they? Who are the baddies? Well, they're dressed in black. Oh, but some of them are white. Yeah, I know, I know. But that's the Empire. And so you, you... You know, so, you know, she didn't read the first bit. I remember that vividly. Yeah. So... uh, I think, I think there might have been a minor domestic going on in whispers. So, um... Those were the things we did together. And it all sounds idyllic, doesn't it? Well, it wasn't all idyllic. Some of it was awful. Um, 
But some of it was very, very good. And we, we obviously knew each other's battles and troubles too. And sometimes when you're a small group like that, some people's uh, battles and maybe struggles impact on all of you. Uh, and you're all feeling a bit low at the same time. But as life moved on and the church grew, we were determined, and I would still be determined, this is relevant to the 21st century, that there are aspects of that, even as things change, that are timeless. That fundamentally the church is people in relationship to Jesus and each other, and that is the building And everything else we do is scaffolding to help that to be built strong and better. It's to get new bricks in and then build them in. Saved and added is the term you get in the Bible, in the book of Acts. Saved and added to the church. And actually, that is still our goal. And that's still what we're trying to do. Even when we have things like small groups, goodness knows what you call them nowadays. I think I've called that we've been in every name that can be. Cell churches, house churches, home churches, community churches, life groups, um, growth groups. But anyway, whatever you call them, the point is fundamentally to try and maintain this. Let's read a little bit of Acts now and think, how does this work for us? Because although it's a long, long time since we started as Hastings Christian Fellowship, the word fellowship is still very, very important to us. So, Acts 2 and verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is a wonderful dynamic of the early church. And at the core of it is really this word fellowship. And I started by saying, well, we chose that word. It wasn't accidental. So what what was the thinking? Well, let's remind ourselves, or if perhaps... Let me tell you what the word fellowship means, because it's a bit of a strange word. You may never have heard it, because you don't hear it that much outside church circles. You may have heard it and think it's referring to cups of tea and a a bun some point, you know, where you're a little bit friendly to people for an hour, and, or if, if possible, less than an hour, and then go. So that may be what you're thinking about. So let's dig into the word. The word translated fellowship is koinonia, and that means sharing, participation, togetherness partnership togetherness or partnership so when it says they were devoted to fellowship it really means they were devoted to one another that's what it really means to be in the church means you are devoted to one another that's what real church is that's what real christianity takes us into a community of people who are devoted to one another now in the new testament The word one another is used an awful lot. And in a way, it is a word that is describing fellowship. 
So fellowship's a bit of a religious word. What does that mean? Cups of tea? No, it's not. It's being devoted to one another. So what does it mean to be devoted to one another? What does it mean to have the courage to build relationships with one another? Well, I have not time, almost, but I might try, to read through all the verses with one another. I'm not going to read them properly, but I have got in front of me a list, all from the New Testament, of things that are told to us as Christians who follow Jesus about how we're to behave to one another. I'll do it quickly, but just let it wash over you for a minute. We're told, love one another, encourage one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds, build up one another, edify one another, admonish one another, instruct one another, serve one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, be kind to one another, be compassionate to one another, be devoted to one another, honour one another, live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic to one another, be gentle with one another. Be patient with one another, accept one another, submit to one another, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, teach one another, live at peace with one another, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, offer hospitality to one another, greet one another, have fellowship with one another, agree with one another, carry one another's burdens. And there's a list of things not to do to one another, which we haven't got time to read, like don't bite and devour one another. It's an old translation, so I don't want anybody biting or devouring anybody. Now, anytime, don't care how hungry you are, no biting or devouring one another. Now, obviously, obviously you realise that's probably metaphoric for being nasty to each other. And there's quite a lot of that too. Things not to do, which are nasty things. So there's an awful lot in the New Testament about how we behave towards one another. Actually, the, the Bible would say that how we behave together is a test, of real sort of test or fruit of whether we're real Christians. Let's look at this verse, 1 John 3.14, if you could pop it up for me. It says, we know we've passed from death to life, that's become Christians, because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. So there is a sense in which you're growing love for one another, and I will use the word growing because it's not instant, is a sign that you have new life in you. Now, we must remember that doesn't mean you'll initially like everybody. That's not the same thing. We've got to find out what this is. But there is a changing in your heart that you know you belong to Jesus and you belong with other people who follow Jesus. And there's a kinship. And you'll know it when you meet people from totally different settings who are Christians. Maybe even different countries and cultures. And there's a kinship. Something goes on in you which is fundamental to being a Christian. And really, fellowship is following on through on that as much as possible. This is not just about liking people who are like you. It's not just about a few bunch of friends who feel easy together. You know, all the people who like to do a particular exercise together, whether it's go to a football match, support a particular team, or like a particular sort of hobby. It's nothing, it's nothing like, well, it's much more than that. You, some little subsections of the church will do stuff together that they enjoy. Of course they will play golf or whatever you like to do but but that it's far 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 more than that it's far more than that it's much deeper it comes out of what we are as Christians look at these verses very quickly Jesus told us John 3 3 that to be a Christian he said very truly I tell you no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again So to be a Christian means that something happens inside you that changes you. You are born of the Spirit. 
That's what happens when you're a Christian. It's much more exciting than you just change your mind about something or you, or you, you work your way through to believing there is a God because you've thought it all through and you think maybe, yes, there's a designer. Well, that's very interesting, but that is, being a Christian's mass is more than that. It's, it's Jesus bringing you, it coming into your life and changing it and bringing you into God's family. Let's look at this next one. John 1. These are all quite quick, but they're so important. To all who received him, that's Jesus. To those who believed in his name, that's to make sure you understand what receive means. It means you trust in him, believe in him. He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent. This isn't a natural thing. Nor of human decision or husband's will. Born of God. So being born again is the Holy Spirit doing something in you that brings you into God's family. And you're born of the Spirit. Santino's born of the Spirit. I'm born of the Spirit. There's a natural link. Our backgrounds are very different. We look different. We've got different colouring, different colour eyes. You've got hair. I haven't got hair. Um, there's a few other. You're younger than me. Oh, uh, anyway, let's press on. So, the, you know, there's loads of differences. But we're born of the Spirit. And actually, to be honest, the links between us, you could argue, are more profound than the nat- that they're stronger and more profound than the natural things that might separate us. And that is how it is. And that is what happens when you become a Christian. There's all sorts of exciting things it says in the Bible. I want to linger on a few more quickly. Here's one, Colossians 1, about what it is to be a Christian. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. I love that verse. That's what it is to be a Christian. We're going to give you an opportunity if you're not one to, to just talk you through it before we finish this morning. Because you don't want to miss out, to be honest. This is about being brought right out of one dominion rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought right over into the kingdom of love and we could say of light uh, where we know forgiveness of sins and redeemed from all that kept us in bondage. It's wonderful to be a Christian. And so we can sort of sum it all up with this verse from Ephesians. You can pop that one up too. Ephesians 5.8. Writing to Christians, Paul says, you were once darkness, now you are light in the Lord, live as children of light. That's, that's it. You were once darkness. We all were. We all were. But now you've been transferred. You've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and transferred over to the king, kingdom of light and love where Jesus is your Lord and Saviour. You're not perfect. You weren't, weren't perfect and you're not perfect. But there's a process going on that's changing you from one degree of glory to another. A process of the Holy Spirit. But the most important thing is you are now a citizen of heaven. You are now a child of God. You're in his family Live and be what you are. Live as children of light, says Paul. When you've put faith in Jesus, all of this wonderful stuff happens to you. And actually, you have now a completely different perspective. You have a completely different set of values, really, and, and understanding of things. And you have a very different future ahead of you. You are now in the kingdom of God. I can't resist one more verse. Let's put up Peter. 1 Peter 2. This is another way of summing up the whole thing of what it is to become a Christian. I tell you, it's a lot more than going to church on a Sunday morning. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. How do you feel? That's what you are. You're in Jesus. 
a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. We weren't. We were a scattered, disparate lot struggling with our different dynamics of where we were and in dark, various levels of darkness. But now you've been redeemed from that. Now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And it's because of that that we work out fellowship. That's why I've emphasized it. It's not about, well, now we're Christians, we've got to be nice. Or, okay, I must have a bit of friendship with these odd people. I go to that big building on the ridge and, you know. No, 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 no. It's far deeper. It's all about what you, when you become a Christian, you become part of God's family or chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. You once weren't part of that people, but now you are part of the people of God. Isn't that exciting? Is that exciting? It is. It's thrilling. And so what we're trying to do is work that out on a day-to-day basis. The church that you belong to, if it's this one or wherever it is, should be understanding these truths and trying to work them out. There'll be all sorts of different scaffolding, which I mentioned earlier. But fundamentally, you're trying to work out getting people, as it were, out of the kingdom of darkness out from being sort of loose stones, if I can put it that way, in a sort of vague quarry of darkness, bringing them into the kingdom of God, shaping them up as bricks, cementing them together with Jesus first of all, and then with each other, and building a community of light and love right in the middle of Hastings. An alternative people, an alternative way of living. Now, we're not weird, well, some of us are, but we're not deliberately weird to prove we're alternative. We just live different. We live it's like Jesus, really. You, you know, Jesus was different. I don't think he was different because of what he wore or his clothes. It was the way he behaved and reacted and acted. That's what was different. The way he talked, the way he prayed for people, the love he showed, the different people he was able to work with. That is what we demonstrate if we get this right and build a community of light and love. Now, it will take courage to do that. It takes serious courage. We're going to list, and it won't be long, just 10 minutes or so or more of, of, of things that we'll, we'll build into. The Bible says you've got to have consciously built into your thinking if you're going to do this properly here in Hastings or anywhere. Here are some of the things. They're my summary, and I've used them for years, so some of you might well have heard them before. But they're based on scriptures, okay? I've got time to go into all the scriptures. But these are some of the things you will need to have courage, if you like, courage to do. Here's one. They've all got the word mutual in them. Mutual acceptance. You do understand what mutual means. I'm not being rude. It means both of you need to do it. All of this means all of us have to do it, okay? Because when you sometimes get into this stuff, it's very easy to sit there thinking, yeah, I hope people accept me. Yeah, I hope people are respectful to me. I hope people are loyal to me. No, no. Are you being respectful to them and accepting them? You only have to wear your own hat, not somebody else's hat, right now. So as we go through this list, this is for everybody individually. Because if we're going to build a proper 
church community, we all need to accept one another. That's what's behind that. Mutual acceptance is based on Romans 15.7, which I haven't got on the PowerPoint. We don't need. You can look it up if you want to. It simply says, accept one another then as Christ accepted you. That's the standard. Accept one another as Christ accepted you. If Christ can accept Richard, then I can. And if Richard, if Christ can accept me, you can accept me, Richard. I ought to choose someone different, don't I? Because we're both very nice, actually. I'm quite good. <laughs> no, see, I won't choose anybody. Now I've said that. It'd be horrendous, wouldn't it? So, uh, so to be honest, uh, you can see I'm being lighthearted about that, I hope. But to be honest, that is not where it hits the, the rubber hits the road with people who are, you know, two middle-class white males. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that, you know, so of course you'd like. It's much more powerful than that. Much more powerful than that. That if Jesus has accepted that person, warts and all, you accept them, warts and all. You, if Jesus can accept that person from a totally different culture and background, it looks very odd to you, you can accept them. And that's where we have to start. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. That is a fundamental start point if we're going to build fellowship. It cuts through colour, it cuts through culture, it cuts through class. It cuts through our character weirdnesses and foibles. We begin by accepting one another. Now you say, well, you know, don't they need to change? Yes, they do. So do you need to change. Of course we need to change. But we start with the point, if Jesus met you and loved you before you changed, then I do too, to a degree. You know, to a degree, in a sense, you are a Christian. Is that what I mean by that? I'm not saying you're unaccepting the people outside, but this is an internal thinking. And it's a bit more profound than that. We should show grace and tolerance and friendship to all sorts of people. We're now talking about accepting that this person's part of my family in God. And I, if, if I'm part of it and they're part of it, then I accept, we accept one another. Let's go on quickly. Mutual respect. Now that is probably based on 1 Corinthians 12, which again we're not going to look at, but that Paul uses a picture there of a body and it says things like this, a few little quotes. The foot doesn't say, the foot in your body doesn't say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. <laughs> so, so there's a sort of sense that there's not a pride in the body that I'm only interested in feet. The foot says I'm only interested in feet. Or the ear says I'm only interested in ears. Or he says later on, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. There is this sense in which not only do we accept one another, but we re- respect the value of one another. So we actually think, well, in Christ's body, there are no spare parts. Everybody is needed. And I've got a fundamental attitude that although I might be a hand and love doing handy things, and I really get on very well with the other hand because we sort of understand each other, I realise that I do need feet and I need mouths and ears and things like kidneys and hidden things that I can't even see. So I, there's a respect that, you, you know, there's a big difference between a hand and a kidney but we, we understand we need each other. And somehow we learn not to just go, oh, I only like things that have got four fingers and a thumb. You know, and I like it simple. I don't want lots of tubes and bleh, blood and squelchy. And, bleh, kidneys, don't touch them. Well, no, I don't want you to touch them, hand, thank you. But yeah, you, know, I'm, you know what I mean? I'm getting a bit uh, bizarre here. But actually, there is a, if I don't have kidneys, no good for my hand. We need each other. Mutual respect for one another. Let's go on to mutual loyalty. These are the building blocks which take courage, I say, to build good fellowship. So what's that mean? Well, we're really sort of told broadly a few things in the Bible. I'll weave together in just a couple of minutes. 
If you hear something about someone, part of the church, part of the family of God, you should not assume it's true unless two or three witnesses can confirm it. That's a broad biblical principle. That's a part of loyalty. So if someone tells me, sorry, Adrian, you're in front row, you guys need to sit further back. If someone tells me something about Adrian, I don't go, oh, really? Adrian, never. I think, I don't think Adrian would do that. I need a bit more before I accept that. That's an aspect of loyalty. Just because I'm told by one person, that's not good enough, particularly on something negative. Here's another aspect of loyalty. You might learn of a brother or sister's sin. Do you know what 1 John 5, 16 would say to do? Pray about it. Honestly, the first thing to do, pray, I would argue, alone about it. The first thing isn't to rush and think, how many people can I tell? Oh, it's just for prayer, of course. No, no. Actually, you need to pray yourself. Just say, God, what should I do about that? And you might find that what he'd say is what's in Matthew 18. So I'm weaving things together, which is go and talk one-to-one to the person first. That's loyalty. That's practical loyalty. It's not that you do nothing and say, well, it's not my business. It's your business. You're part of the same body. But you actually might sort of pray, God, what am I going to do? Okay, probably I'll start by talking. I've heard this. Is this true? Or I've seen this. I do know it's true. But can I just talk to you and challenge you? Or can I say, I'm wondering if you need help, if I can help or challenge or whatever. It may be a difficult thing, but we probably should start with as small a circle as possible, which is one-to-one. Then if that doesn't work, you can take someone along with you. If that doesn't work, you could broaden it a little further. That is the way real loyalty works. That's in the Bible. So we don't rush to tell people, to expose sin in each other, to uncover it, or to tell people things that are gossipy and stirring up trouble. Mutual loyalty, mutual responsibility. Here's another one. That would again come, in my thinking, from 1 Corinthians 12, the body stuff, where it talks about that each member has equal concern for the other members. And there's a sense in which it is important that we all play our part in church. Can I emphasize that? It really is important that we, we feel responsible for the, for the community or the body. That's fellowship. That I'm not just responsible for myself. I think to actually build healthy Christian fellowship in the modern 21st century Great Britain is quite difficult. Because you have got to come against a culture which is very me-centered very me-centered. It probably has been through most of my lifetime, to be honest, for the last 60 years, but, but it's got worse. It's very me-centered. It's very consumerist, isn't it? You'd agree with that. I think most people say that our culture is very, what's best for me? How does it work for me? And it's very consumerist, therefore. I just pick and choose what suits me and mix and match. Fine when it comes to supermarkets or buying your weekly shopping, but that is not how we build churches, you will not build very much with a consumerist, me-centered mentality. And this is the gospel. This is the kingdom of God. And it's a different culture. We're building a kingdom culture, brothers and sisters, not a world culture. We've come out of that into this. We come out of darkness into life. And this is light. And this is where actually the rubber does hit the road sometimes, that we are responsible for each other. In a sense, we are responsible to contribute our bit to the body. 
There shouldn't really be spare parts. That's fellowship. There should be every member playing their part. Now, that's a two-way street, probably. That means it has to be recognised and helped along by some. Perhaps, perhaps leadership will play a part there. But it also has to be your willingness and your part to play your part and even to volunteer and offer yourself in areas where you can. And some of it is spontaneous, that you feel responsible for one another. So that if you can offer practical help, whether it be literally, physically, material, some thing you could lend or give, or money even, or, or time or effort, when you do it, you don't wait to be told to do it, you do it. You've got a responsibility. If you know someone's lonely or sick or down, you can visit them, you have the time to visit them, you don't wait to say, well, they're not in my house group. No, no, if you know them, do it. Because that's how it works. There is a sense of which we own it. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we weep with those who weep. And that's, that's fellowship. That's how fellowship works. And here's another one. Not too many more. In fact, it might be the last one. Mutual submission. It says in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a fascinating one. I think we occasionally talk about submission, about authority, but I think we twist it a bit if we're not careful, if we don't pick up this more general principle. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For me, this is what that means. I think it's biblically accurate, so it's not just my opinion. What we do is we submit to one another's gifting and who we are in the body of Christ. Let me try and explain. In the body, my, my hand doesn't try and do everything. It allows the feet to do what feet do best and, and, and the mouth and the digestion system to do what they... There is a sense in which my, mouth, my hand doesn't, doesn't keep trying to do it all. It does its bit well and sort of lets the other bits do their bit. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. When someone in the body is serving or helping in an area where they're clearly gifted or enabled to do it, whoever we are, however high and mighty you might think we are in this world or in the kingdom of God, we submit to them. So, is it Jarrett? Uh, Janair, sorry. Janair's leading the worship, which I thought he did really well this morning. And everybody here, to some degree, submits to him. Not that we just do what he wants, but we respect the fact that he's leading us into the presence of God. And if we're going to contribute, we'd want to do in submission to, not merely Santino, who might, we're submitting to as a, as, a, as a leader and acknowledging his leadership, but even to what's going on in the worship. We're thinking, I'm ready to play my, I feel I've got a part to play, but I'm submitting to the gifts that are operating. Do you see what I mean? Now, that's an easy one because it's an obvious public one, but it goes on beyond that. We submit to one another's wisdom and skill. We submit to one another's gift mix. It's not hard to think. Some people are very practical and very good and very administrative, and some of us who are less so need to submit to them on it. We do. You don't need to say, well, I'm the leader of the church. I might be half-witted and can't even know which day of the week it is. But if I say it's Wednesday, it's Wednesday. No, no, go home. You'd be stupid. You submit to the person who can organise you properly as much as possible. Because they're submitting to you. It's mutual. They're saying, we want to help you lead. But you're a bit half-witted when it comes to organising a diary. So, 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 so that's how the church works. Mutual submission. Mutual honouring, recognising gift in each other. Now, obviously, part of that is recognising leadership. 
And that's important as well. Well, this list could genuinely go on a lot further. That's some of the taste of what I feel are the building blocks of fellowship, things we have to work out, all rooted in Scripture. But as you can see, I'm sure, they all require real courage, don't they? It takes guts to do that stuff, honestly. You think, well, does it? Yes, it does. Because we all like to keep ourselves to ourselves. We all have a natural tendency to be me-centred, and the culture has exaggerated that. And we we all like to be our own little master. But if we're going to build a church, there's going to have to be a much more of a mutual submission, much more of going beyond just me in my small corner and you in yours. That's not how we build church. It takes courage. There is a real temptation to put on a front, for example, to be what's the essence of legalism, to be able to perform well, make the right groans and gasps and, oh, yes, Jesus is, and wave your arms at the right time, and then go home and do what you like. That's, I mean, we can all do it. I mean, I've sadly done it myself. We, but, but actually, real fellowship will take us beyond that, will take us beyond just legalism and performance-based relationships. We're, we're going to be honest with one another. We're going to sail each other when we're struggling. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to love each other through the difficult times. We're going to visit each other when people aren't doing well, when they're not only sick, but they're a little depressed and not wanting to, to meet with the church. And we're going to help them through that. That's how it works. And that takes courage. It takes courage to visit people, even in the church, who you think probably don't want a visit because they don't want anybody. But I feel God's put him on my heart to go and connect with them and try and help them. And these things are acts of courage to be good Bible-based friends to one another, real care. And it won't be that you can have that level with everybody in a church. It never has been like that. I mean, sometimes people get very sentimental about the things I described at the beginning of my talk. You know, when, when there's perhaps 20 or 30 in the church and we could all go to the cinema together. Well, you can do that in your house group. A small group should replicate that sort of thing. It shouldn't just be a a, a mini Sunday morning meeting on a Wednesday night. That's not what house groups are supposed to be. They're supposed to replicate roughly what we were doing in those early years. That There's a group of people who, who pick up a bit of responsibility, care for each other, maybe do stuff together, even help, literally, if, if wanted, with some decorating or gardening or whatever, whatever. That, that, that can be, and, and it can be a bit broader than that. And obviously we can organise that a little bit to help it work. But, but actually, this isn't a function of size, what I'm talking about. You don't have to have just a, a small church to do this. We build authentic community right across a church like this. But as I think I said a few moments ago, where I started this point, I accept you won't all know each other. As the church grows, that will, and you think, oh, it's a bit funny. Well, it's not funny, really. I mean, any family, we're, we're a family, growing family, got 10 grandchildren. We do all still know each other. But, you know, by the time it gets to cousins and by the time it gets to married links, do you know what I mean? The in-laws. It, I mean, it's not because many of us come from this part of the world. But it, it gets not unreasonable that some people you only meet occasionally, you only know a little bit. But you are part of the same family. I mean, that's a weak illustration. The church should be better than that. But it is an illustration that you don't actually know everybody as well as everybody else. But you acknowledge we're all part of this thing. And somewhere underneath, you're working it out in the midst of a smaller groups or subgroups. It's not just the house group. It'll be serving groups like worship. It'll be uh, where you have good, 
deep relationships and I hope where you pick up if one another are struggling. You don't leave it all to the official pastors to care for one another. That is not how a real church works. That's not real fellowship. Biblical Christianity helps us break through all these restrictions. Just as I conclude, I want to quote something from John Wesley. John Wesley said, The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. That's a good point. The idea that you on your own can just be a Christian, sit at home, watch the God channel, watch it all on the internet, and that's as good as anything else, is nonsense. You might come to know Jesus that way. You might get a little bit of help sometimes teaching that way. But actually, that is a thousand miles from real Christianity. There is no such thing as solitary religion in the Bible, Old or New Testament. It's all in a community. You are saved and added. You're added to something. You're added to the local church. You're added to that body of people working together. And yet that is actually where you work it out. And even there's a, there's a challenging but very important part to it. I think it's Terry Virgo in his book on the future church says, biblical sanctification, that means getting holier, cannot happen in isolation. We need each other to grow as Christians. You sitting at own, on your own at home, unflustered and unbothered by other people, which is quite attractive, I understand that, just choosing what you read and watch, you will not grow as a Christian. You say, oh, yes, I will. I listen to John Piper for hours. You will not grow as a Christian. Your head will grow till it's like a great big balloon. And you'll be full of all sorts of ideas. But how you will grow is when you rub up against Mr. Sandpaper or Mrs. File or... You are helped and blessed by Mrs. Cozy Cuddly or whatever it is. You know, as people serve you and bless you, as some people challenge you and rub against you, that is how you grow. You don't grow in isolation. God has made it like that. Sanctification can only occur in the life of the church. So we are finishing. And we're going to break bread in a few moments. But before we do, and I'll let Santino lead you through on that, I do feel it's quite important that I say something to any of you who might not even be Christians this morning. Let me say, you can join this wonderful people. I don't mean just King's Church Hastings. I mean the people of God, the chosen generation, the precious possession of God. You can be rescued from the dominion of darkness, transferred to the kingdom of light now. You don't have to be at a certain standard. That's the whole point. Perhaps I hope you've picked that up a bit from what I've said. There'll be a work that will go on in your life that will probably revolutionise it. But you will start just as you are, just as I am, without one plea. You come to Jesus. And I've got a little prayer here that would be a suitable for you to pray. If you really pray it and really mean it, then Jesus will come to you. You'll come into his family this morning. I would say if you really pray it and you really mean it, please tell someone. I don't think it will be that real, if I can put it that way, if you don't say to someone, I prayed that this morning and I meant it. We're not going to call you forward because we're going to move on to bread and wine, but you need to say, I meant it, and that person will give you a bit of encouragement and maybe a little bit of help what to do next. 
But this is the important step. So let's all close our eyes. And if you want to become a Christian this morning, if you want to get transferred from darkness to light, then follow this through and mean it in your heart and in your mind. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you, Lord, that I can be connected to you today because you, Lord Jesus, are alive. I admit that I've lived my life without you, Lord, and I've messed up. I now ask you for total forgiveness for all the things I've done wrong. And I commit myself to you, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me. Please help me to submit my life, Lord Jesus, to you and your teaching and direction. Help me to follow you. I receive you into my life and, 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 and Lord, I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me walk after you, following you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you mean that and really mean it, you can tell someone, but also you probably, I will allow you to take the bread and wine. Uh, I, I may be breaking the rules here, but I think God will forgive me. And you can take that bread and wine as a first commitment that Jesus, you are my Lord. Only if you mean it. Don't do it sentimentally or superstitiously. Because this bread and wine is for people who are already followers of Jesus. But you already are from two minutes ago. So you can do it and then you must tell someone about it. And uh, that's fine. But the rest I'll leave to Santino. Good one.